Hi, welcome to Canna Confidential, the podcast all about the cannabis industry from the perspective of a licensed microcultivator and processor. So without further ado, let's get to the content. Thanks for joining us. Hi, this is Cheryl. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we're going to talk about a couple of different things. Uh, we're going to talk about different lighting options as a grower, but I also want to touch on THC. As a grower, we all know that everybody's on the hunt for the highest THC, and that's being driven by the consumer. Most consumers, I think the majority of consumers understand that there's a balance between THC and CBD, but there are those that hunt for the highest THC that they can find. And as a grower, that puts me and other growers in the driver's seat of trying to find the highest THC that we can produce. I don't agree with it. Uh, I like to see a more balanced uh, profile. I like to see, I, I actually hunt for the best terpene profile, but high THC is a thing. So what does that actually mean? THC is the only plant cannabinoid that you know for sure has clear intoxicating effects on its own. There's some evidence to suggest that THCV, as in Victor, may also have intoxicating effects, although whether it does or not depends on the dose. I read a medical paper this morning that was talking about the different chemical entities in cannabis, and they have come up with 400 different chemical entities and more than 60 of them are cannabinoid entities and compounds. The main ones that I want to talk about this morning are cannabinoid receptors 1 and 2. So the human body has receptors in our endocannabinoid system, mainly in the brain, but they're also in the peripheral nervous system, the liver, the thyroid, the uterus, bones, and testicular tissues. That's uh, most influenced by the cannabinoid receptor number one and number two to a lesser effect is the immune system, the spleen, the gastrointestinal system and even lesser the brain and the peripheral nervous system. Interestingly both CB1 and CB2 are also found in the human placenta and have been shown to play a role in regulating serotonin activity between the baby and the mother. Indeed, further research has revealed that the endocannabinoid system also plays a significant role in various aspects of human reproduction. Where does that fall into with us being on the hunt for THC? Means that as a grower, we are looking for the best blends that we can find for our customers. And so in also doing some research for the podcast this morning, I came across another article and I'm not going to mention where I read it from because I thought it was a little clickbaity. The headline for it was uh, an article on the seven main things you can do to increase your THC output. I read the entire article. It talked about nutrients and how there's different formulas and and, um, combinations that you can use for your plants, but there's nothing that really is proven to, there's not one 
a nutrient system out there that's proven to actually give you a, a higher THC. It talked about different lighting options. It talked about your environment and how um, a, a higher humidity level, a relative humidity, your RH, or a lower RH, or your temperatures. Like it went over a long list of, well, it went over a list of seven main things that you can do to increase your THC output. But the bottom line that they came to, and I think most growers would agree, that you cannot adjust the genetics of the seed that you're doing. And we discussed this last week. It all boils down to what you're starting with, what your starting materials are. You cannot take a plant that if you've purchased from a reliable source, whether it's a clone or a seed, you can't take a seed that has a genetic makeup of say 20% THC and somehow turn it into a 27%. It's capped at 20. Your growing techniques can bring it to its maximum potential, meaning that if you're not a very good grower or you, uh, you know, you, you've overstressed your plants and when you're finished and it's tested, it might only be 12% or 15%. If you've maximized the potential in your genetics, you're going to get the 20%. And in doing the research for this podcast this morning, I really wanted, didn't want to talk about THC. I really want to talk about the lighting options that are out there. So personally, I have grown with HPS, which is also known as high pressure sodium. I've also grown with ceramic halide and, and that's a double ended uh, light bulb. And, and I'll go a little further into that fixture later on. And I've also grown with LED. And I am thinking about switching my entire grow to an LED system. So I'm gonna talk about the different options that these three uh, lighting systems offer. So HPS is tried and true. That's the one that uh, uh, legacy growers have used for years and years and years. It's cheap, it's tried and true. The drawbacks on it are that you have to switch the bulbs. So you start with one light bulb in it, and then when you switch your lighting and your nutrients to, to flower, you have to also remember to change out the light bulb. Just a side note, when you are growing, whether you're using LED, ceramic halide, or uh, HPS, you can never touch the bulb with your bare hands. The oils in your in your hands when you're changing these bulbs heats up and will cause the lights to shatter. So you always have to wear gloves when you're handling these bulbs. But that being said, with the HPS uh, being tried and true, and, and when you're, you've got to switch out the bulbs, I also find there's a tremendous heat buildup in the room or in the tent, whatever you're growing in. There's a tremendous heat build up that you also then have to adjust to um, to your growing environment. So those are the pluses and minuses on the HPS. Right now in my commercial grow, I'm using ceramic halide on the flower floor. I have 50 ceramic halides and I have them set up in a five by five grid so that there's a tremendous overlap in the lighting. 
That being said, the room gets very, very warm. My ceramic halides are double-ended bulbs and they have a dial on them so that I don't have to switch out the bulbs. I can, grow, I can go from 600 watts up to 1150. So when, I'm, when I first start the plants out in veg, I start at 600. In my third week of veg, I bump it up to 825. When I'm just before flower, I put it up to 1,000. And for the duration of the flower, we run at 1150. The last two weeks of flower, I turn it down to um, 1,000. And then if I think the flower, if I can get a little more terpene uh, profile or terpene activity out of the plant, I will drop it down to the 825 and see if I can get a little more action happening there for the, for the, uh, the crystals. These lights were $375 a piece, which was very attractive to me, but I do get a tremendous amount of heat buildup. And that's, so while they were cheap, I'm spending a lot of money on uh, hydro and I'm spending a lot of money on air conditioning and, and dehumidification to balance out the heat that these lights are throwing off. In my veg room, I use an LED. It's a 1500 watt, small LED. It's got a built-in fan to keep the unit cool, but I still find a little bit of heat buildup in, in the 1500 watt LED. That, that brand is Flies On. Um, I don't remember where I bought them from. I've got like 20 of them. And I find that when I start the plants, whether I'm doing clones or seed, when I start the plants off under these little LEDs, they really react well. I, I'm very surprised at how much um, the plant looks very healthy, it looks very strong, it's got a beautiful dark green color to it, the, the leaves that come off are very balanced and symmetrical and I'm really happy with what they're doing in the veg room and so that's why I'm considering switching out my entire flower room. I'm going to take all these, uh, the 50 uh, ceramic halides out and go with LED on the flower floor. The reason I like the, the LED, it's, uh, it's, it's less, it produces less heat. Now it does still produce heat. There's no two ways about that. It does, it still does produce heat. It's not, it's not a cure-all, but it's less heat that it produces. So your air conditioners aren't working as hard. I know that the LED lights last the bulbs actually last longer now i've read everything from five times longer to 50 times longer i would imagine it's probably uh, how you treat your lighting system how well your um, your environment around the lights is is balanced to help the, the lighting work better they also use a whole lot less energy than the ceramic halide for me, my power bill is thousands of dollars a month. Now I know that involves the lighting, but it also is the air conditioning. But the, from what I understand, the LEDs use way less energy. And the balance to that is that the LED lights are very expensive. Where I paid $375 for the ceramic halide, uh, I'm going to be spending probably 1500 a light for the LEDs. 
there are a lot of LED manufacturers out there. I have heard of Gavita, Mars, Kind, Quantum, Invisible Sun, Spider Farmer. The one that I've heard the most talk about is Alias. And they, from what I understand, they're a unique supplier from Canada. Uh, a little more expensive than some of the others, but from what, talking to other growers, I understand that the Alias will actually give you a more than 10% increase in not just the, uh, the mass that you're producing, but also in the quality that you're producing. So LED grow lights can help you get better yields and produce a higher quality crop with the right spectrum and intensity than traditional uh, ceramic halide or high pressure sodium. I also feel that when I started growing with indoor lighting, LED, while it was improved from, you know, 10 years ago or five years ago, it still wasn't a perfected option. And I feel that over the years that I've been growing, LED has gotten better and better and better. And so I'm, I'm quite looking forward to making the switch. LED bulbs come in various styles. They come in, in big panels that are, you know, sometimes three feet by four feet. They come in tubes and strips. And you can use them to slowly replace in your grow room. So if you want to just start by trying it out on a certain portion, you can work towards uh, chain, making the complete changeover. They work by directing energy to the plants instead of outward like the other, plant, other uh, lighting options where it lights the room. It seems to me that LED drives light right down to the plant. I don't know how to describe it other than it's uh, it seems to photosynthetically activate the plant. And I think that's why they just look so much better when they're under the LED. So in addition to your lower running costs, because your, your power consumption is lower, and the longer lifespan than the regular tubes, you get a better quality. And, and so that sort of balances out the higher price, I think. It's, uh, for me, a great option. Uh, I'm looking forward to going to some of the grow shows that are uh, available, particularly Lyft, and looking at all the different uh, options that will be available. So if you're thinking about growing LED or growing with ceramic halide, I'd love to hear your opinion on, on which options that you'd like to explore too. Have you met Mary Jane? Thanks so much for listening. If you have any questions about today's topic or the cannabis industry in general, then please send an email to admin at cannaconfidential.co.